Amen. Please be seated. And if you have a copy of the Word of God, I invite you to open to the first epistle of John. First John, we'll be continuing our series there this evening in chapter 2, looking this evening at verses 12 through 14. That's 1 John 2, 12 through 14. In our reading this evening, I would like to begin at verse 7, so that we get a bit of the sense of context as we continue to work our way through what John has written for the church to encourage it and to help Christians to know that they have eternal life. 1 John 2, beginning in verse 7, hear the word of the Lord. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who was from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. Please pray with me. Our great and glorious Lord, you have given us your word. We pray now that you would bless it to us. That we would see great truths which you proclaim to us in these verses. That you would use it to grow us in our faith, in our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That you would reveal to us these things which we ought to know for our assurance, for full trust in you, our great God and Savior. We pray that you would do this for your glory and honor. We ask in Christ's name, amen. I wonder if you can think of a particular time in your life where you were discouraged. Discouraged. Children, maybe you were discouraged one time when you studied very hard in your schoolwork. You, you had a test and you didn't do as well as you would have liked to. Or, or maybe you were playing a game, a, a sport of some kind, and your team lost by only a couple points at the very end. That can be pretty discouraging. Adults, maybe you have been discouraged when it was a tough day at work, nothing seemed to go right. 
or maybe something happened with the kids. Again, nothing seemed to go right. The whole day just seemed to fall apart on you, and you were discouraged. When something like that happens, what is one of the best cures? What would, what would you like to have happen when it's been a discouraging day, you're down, and you just really need something to help you perk back up, as it were? Well, in my own personal experience, one of the best things is when I was younger and I was discouraged, when my father would come up to me and put his hand on my shoulder and say, son, I'm, I'm proud of you. You did your best. Or maybe when my mother would come and, and give me a hug and say, it's okay. Maybe you have experienced this, children, where your, your parents tell you that they're proud of you. Or husbands and wives, your spouse comes to you and, and they give you comforting words. See that The opposite of, of the discouragement which you're experiencing is the encouragement that these people seek to give to you. And that helps a great deal, doesn't it? It lifts your spirits. And it causes you to think, it's not the end. I'm going to keep going on. I'll persevere in my work, in my sports, in my school, in raising the children, whatever. This, those words of encouragement, which are so very helpful. And here we see something of a similar principle in what John is doing for the church. These three verses that we have before us are encouragement for Christians. Encouragement for all Christians at all stages of their walk with the Lord. Now, we've gone through several of these examinations which John gives to the church, haven't we? Uh, we looked in, in chapter 1 about walking in the light. John says, if you're a Christian, you'll walk in the light. And he says, if you're a Christian, you'll confess your sins. And if you say that you know God, then you should be walking in God's ways. And if you're a Christian, you should be loving your brother. Not just in word, but also in deed. John's given us all of these self-examinations for us to look at and say, well, is my life matching up to how Christians are supposed to live? And to be honest... Those things can maybe be a bit discouraging, can't they? John says, walk in the light. And you say, but sometimes I sin. John says, yes, we have a Savior who forgives of our sins. Walk after him. You say, well, I'm trying. John says, it's okay. Trust in Jesus. Look to Jesus. John says, love your brother. And you say, well, I'm trying to, but sometimes my brother irritates me. It's hard to love other sinners. And says, yes, and here's what we need to look back to Christ. You need a word of encouragement, a hand upon your shoulder to stir you up so that you continue to walk after Christ and walk in his ways. Here in these three verses, John says to you, Christian of any stage, be encouraged at the work God has done in your life so that you might continue to grow in grace. Be encouraged. Look at what God's done for you, in you. Be encouraged 
so that you might walk after the Lord. Well, I'd like to look at this text with you in, in three different categories, as you, as you can see in the bulletin, although we're not exactly going in order that the verses give us. I think I mentioned to you before that sometimes John does some loop-de-loops in his reasoning. And so sometimes it's appropriate for us to break everything down and, and piece it back together so that we can have a little bit more of a systematic understanding. But we're going to look at these three different categories of Christians. First, we're going to look at those who are new in faith or newer in faith or just young in faith. The, the children, which John refers to. He speaks of children in the first part of verse 12 and the last part of verse 13. And then we're going to look at, at those who are growing in their faith, the young men, which John speaks about. And that's in uh, the middle part of verse 13 and the end of verse 14. And then we're going to look at those who are mature in the faith, fathers that John speaks of in the beginning of verse 13 and the end, or the beginning, excuse me, of verse 14. Three, three categories, children, young men, fathers. Young, new in faith, growing in faith, mature in faith, believers, believers of all stages. Before we do that, I think it's appropriate for us to pick out some of these interesting features of our text. Just through reading it, you've probably noticed that John is repeating a lot of things in these three verses. And it's important for us to understand in the scripture, when something is repeated, it means we need to pay attention. Now, we should pay attention to all of God's words, certainly. But those repeated things are things which are especially noteworthy in the particular writing which they are done in. You probably know this is true from Isaiah chapter 6 when God is called the holy, holy, holy God. By calling God holy three times, Isaiah is emphasizing just how holy God is. Or when Jesus is speaking to the crowds of people, he says, truly, truly, I say to you. Jesus is emphasizing that people are to pay attention to his words because they are true. And it's a message which his hearers need to hear. Here, John repeats himself several times. He repeats these phrases, children, young men, fathers. He repeats his, his opening, I am writing to you, I am writing to you, I am writing to you. I write to you, I write to you, I write to you. He repeats the word because six times, emphasizing that these are truths which we need to pay attention to. John is not just greeting his readers it isn't just a brief wave, hello. No, John is, is pointing us to a great and glorious truth of what God has done. And it's important for us to take note of that. So with those things in mind, let's go to the text now and, and seek to unpack it a little bit. So we see what these great truths which John is trying to communicate to us are. Well, first, we want to look at children. Those who are new in faith or, or young in faith, looking at Verse 12 and the end of verse 13. John writes there, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And then at the end of 13, I write to you, children, because you know the Father. 
Now, you probably notice that there is a little bit of difference here in the English translation between little children and children. Well, in the Greek, there's a bit bigger of a difference because these are two entirely different words. Maybe you remember back at the beginning of chapter 2, John talks or refers to his, his readers as little children. John uses this, this word seven times in this epistle. Seven times. It's a term of endearment, of love. He wants to convey to his readers, he wants to convey to you, his great desire for you to grow in your faith and your love towards God. Every other time John uses this word, little children, he's addressing the entirety of his readers. And so there's no reason for us to think that he's not doing the same thing here. John is is most likely referring to all saints, all of them. He's talking to everyone who was reading the letter when he first sent it, who would be reading the letter throughout the ages, to you this evening who are reading this letter. He's referring to you as little children, the beloved of God, the people of God. And later he refers to a category of children. Now these are different. They're different words. And I think with little children, John is referring to everyone who reads this, which would include young men and fathers. But at the same time, John is, is putting this all together in a, rep, a repetition, as I've said. He wants to emphasize something. He wants to emphasize to those who are young in their faith that, that there are particular things which the Lord has revealed to them, which he's shown them, which, which they understand and they know, which all Christians understand and know, but, but in particular, those young in faith. What, what are these things? Well, first, the forgiveness of sins, and second, the fathership of God in their lives. Look at what he writes. He writes, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. John wants to remind all of his readers, but especially those young in faith who, who have heard uh, false teachings, who have been assaulted in their faith by these people that were saying, ah, there's not forgiveness of, of sins in this world. You have to escape this world. The Gnostics, you remember we discussed these people. John wants to remind them that if they are indeed trusting in Christ, and, and he believes that they are, their sins are forgiven. They are forgiven. John uses uh, the perfect tense here to convey to you this evening Dear Christian, you who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven, done, completed. You don't have to wait around for the forgiveness of sins. If you are looking to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, your sins are forgiven. You have forgiveness. There is peace with God through the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. John wants to remind those young in faith of of this very important fact, even as he reminds the whole church. This is the basis. This is the foundation. Salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. In him is forgiveness of sins. And that's why he says that our sins are forgiven for his name's sake. It is only through the work of, 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only on the basis of his atonement that we have forgiveness of sins. But praise the Lord. Because our advocate and propitiation is the one who is able to bear all of the sins of his people so that they are indeed forgiven. The Lord Jesus Christ has borne the sins of his people and so they are forgiven. It is, it is because of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ that saints may be encouraged. They have a true savior, a living savior, one who has made full atonement for their sins so that they are forgiven. Now, John had just stopped there in referring to the whole church. I think we would have more than enough encouragement to fuel us in our desire to continue to serve God. Forgiveness of sins, what a marvel. What an amazing thing which we have. But he doesn't stop there because at the end of 13, he says, I write to you, children, because you know the Father. Here speaking more explicitly to those young in faith. He reminds them. He reminds them that they have not just been forgiven of their sins and made servants of the living God. That, that would have been enough prodigal son knew it would be enough for him to go back to his father's household and be made a servant. But what has God done for us? Well, these young Christians know. They know their heavenly father. They, they know they have a heavenly father. They know that the Lord has blessed them with the blessing of adoption in Christ. Remember that that's one of those great blessings which we have in the heavenly places in Christ is adoption and love. The father predestined us for adoption as sons in Christ. It's the work of the father to adopt us. Well, it's also the work of the Holy spirit in Romans eight. You remember that the Holy spirit is called the spirit of adoption. And it's through him that we cry out to God, Abba father. So through the gift of the Holy spirit, we know God as our Father. And the Spirit speaks to us of God as our Father. And you remember the Lord Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer that we should address God as our Father. The Westminster uh, <clears throat> Shorter Catechism it deals with this beautifully in explaining to us what this means. It, by addressing God as our Father, we're, we're taught to approach God as a Father who is willing and able to help us. We come to him as children to their father. How glorious is this? In teaching us to pray, the Lord Jesus said, look to the living and true God as your heavenly father. One who loves you and cares for you, who provides your needs he doesn't give his children snakes when they ask for a fish. He doesn't give his children stones when they ask for bread. He gives good gifts, especially that spirit of adoption, but also in providing all of our other needs. John says to you this evening, as children of God, remember you have forgiveness of sins. You are forgiven. Remember 
You have God as your father. Be encouraged by these truths. Remember these great and glorious facts. John also addresses another group of people. He calls them young men. These are those who are growing in faith. Look with me to the middle of verse 13 and the second half of verse 14. John writes there, I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. And then 14, I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now this word which, which John uses, which we've translated young men, it's referring to those who are in the prime of life. The Greeks believed that was men who were in their 20s, about 22 to 28. So if you are under that, don't worry. Spiritually, if you're growing in your faith, you're still one of these young men. And if you're older than that physically, don't worry. That just places you in the father's category, and that's a good place to be. These young men, though, are those who are in the prime of life. These are are the Christians who are growing in their faith. They're, They're learning more about the Lord. These are the ones who have not just sat back and said, okay, I'm forgiven. I have God as my father. That's good enough for me. No, these are the ones who say, I want to know God more. So they go to the word and and they're reading and they're meditating. They're learning. Uh, They're reading good books written by godly people so that they can grow in their faith. They say, the Lord has done so much for me. I must know him more. And these young men, John says, have three characteristics. First, he, he writes it, they are strong. How are they strong? Why are they strong? Is it, is it just the musculature of, of a 25-year-old who's been working out in the gym? No. No, that's not what, what John is referring to. Christians are strong in the Lord. Remember when uh, Paul is writing in Ephesians about the armor of God. We tend to, I think, skip over those, those first couple of verses where, where Paul starts in on, on the armor of God. He writes, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the armor of God. You see, our strength, the strength of these young men is not a, a natural strength. It's not their own work, their own doing It's not their own zeal, although they have great zeal, I'm sure. No, this strength which they have comes from the Lord. And this is an encouragement, isn't it? Because if if you're seeing yourself grow in the Lord, if if you're seeing this uh, stronger and stronger faith in Christ, if you're seeing strength in putting to death the deeds of the flesh, this is all great evidence that the Lord is working in you, isn't it? And so it's a great encouragement to the Christian. And so these young men are strong. Well, John also says, the end of verse 14, you're strong and the word of God abides in you. What does abide mean? We've looked at this word before. It means to live with, to dwell with, 
uh, a constant uh, delving into, a living in the word. These young men are strong in the Lord because the Lord is, is providing them strength when they read his word, when they learn of him. He's teaching them through his word so that they might know what they are to believe about God and what he requires them to do. They are hiding God's word in their heart. Are you a young man, spiritually speaking? Are you growing in your faith? Are you hiding God's word in your heart? Are you reading and and meditating? Are you memorizing? Are you learning? This is an evidence of God's work in your life as well. The young men abide in God's word. God's word is written on their hearts. It's one of those great promises in, in Jeremiah 31. Tell us in the new covenant, God's word is, is written on the hearts of his people. This abiding, this dwelling. Daily, frequently. Being in the word of God. This is one of the characteristics of these who are growing in their faith. And, and finally, the other characteristic is they have overcome the evil one. You've overcome the evil one. Maybe you sit back and you think, well, this, how's that? How have they overcome the evil one? Because it sounds to me like that's already done. And that's what John says. Again, John's using a lot of perfect tense verbs here, stressing that even though things are in progress, because of God, because of his promises, because of his work in his people, this Essentially, already said and done. It's so certain that it might as well be accomplished. When Paul says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet in Romans 16, John says that that work of God is so certain that these young men have seemingly already accomplished it. What does it mean to to overcome the evil one, to resist temptation, to fight against sin, to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout all of the earth, to bring glory and honor to the Savior? How is this accomplished? Only through the strength which God gives to his people. You see how it all works together then. These, these young men may take encouragement, even, even though sometimes they don't love the brothers as they ought to, even though sometimes they sin, they're not walking in the light as they ought to. Yet, even still, God is giving them grace to grow. And they're seeing fruits of that in their life. And in God's strength, the strength which he gives them, they are pressing forward. Is this descriptive of you? Do you see growth in your own life? Do you have a great desire to read God's word? Are you reading God's word? 
If you struggle, well, welcome to Christianity. But the Lord gives strength. So we can cry out to him. We can ask him, Lord, help me. I I want to learn more about you. I want to grow in my faith. Help me. Teach me in your word. Uh, Help me to, to spend time in your word. And seek to do that so that you may grow in it. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The great dragon will be slain by Christ. But through his people, by blessing them and growing them in their faith. Well, that's the second category which John presents to us this evening. But then finally, he gives us those who are mature in faith. Those whom he calls fathers in the beginning of verse 13 and the beginning of verse 14. We read there two identical phrases. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Fathers in the ancient world were greatly respected, highly revered. In the Roman world, a father was the head of his whole household for multiple generations even. They all still lived in the same place. The pater familius, the chieftain, as it were, of of a small family or of a big family even. Fathers that John is writing to are those who have grown and grown. It doesn't, doesn't mean, John does not mean to say here that they have ceased growing in their faith. But when he speaks of fathers here, he's speaking of those who are mature in their faith, who are steady in their faith, who, who have deep roots, as it were. These men are like old oak trees in the forest. My parents have an oak tree in their front yard, which we're fairly certain is hundreds of years old. I think it is wider in diameter than I am tall. My parents have had many hurricanes come through that area in the 26 years or so that they've lived at that house. Other trees have fallen. That oak tree has deep roots and it has not been shaken. These fathers, which John writes about, are those who have deep roots in the Savior. They know him who is from the beginning. The the one who is from the beginning is Christ. John already referred to that which was from the beginning in in chapter 1. John reiterates here, these fathers know Christ. The simplicity of what John says here indicates that they have a depth of intimacy with Christ. They know Christ as their prophet, priest, and king. It's not just, well, Jesus is my Savior. Well, can you tell me more? Well, no, not, not really. To know Jesus as your Savior is wonderful and good. But these fathers know the person and work of Christ, they paid attention when Christ is preached in their churches. They have uh, an intimate 
relational knowledge. That's, of course, what, what that word know means. We've looked at that before as well. You might say, well, yes, but don't all Christians know Christ? Yes, to, to a degree. But John's point here, again, is, is the depth. These men were not shaken by the false teachings of the heretics, which John will speak about uh, just in a few verses. These antichrists who had gone out from the church. These fathers heard the false doctrines which were being proclaimed and, and they said, no, this is a complete misrepresentation of God. This is, this is a complete misrepresentation of who Christ is. These fathers reminded the church, remember, remember what we were taught about the Lord Jesus. Remember that, that he is truly God and took on human flesh and is, is truly man. Remember that salvation comes through him because he gave his life as a sacrifice for us. Salvation doesn't come from, from strange archaic knowledge, which these people are trying to, to teach you. No, salvation comes from, from knowing Christ. Salvation comes from looking to him in faith. These fathers, being rooted and grounded in Christ, stand, stood firm excuse me, against the false teachings around them. Now, are you rooted in Christ? It should be the goal of every single Christian to be one of these fathers. To know Christ. To be known by him as thoroughly as one possibly can. We should never cease to learn of Christ, to study the scriptures so that we might not just know about him, but know him, who he is. That's why we should spend time in communion with him, studying his word, praying, asking him to mature us in our faith so we too can be firm, rooted, so thoroughly in our Savior. Well, if this does describe you, and there are many saints who it does, praise the Lord for that. Dear fathers, mothers, you who, who have been saints for a long time and have grown in the Lord Jesus Christ and have deep roots, be encouraged by seeing the great work which Christ has done in your life. When you sin, you know very well to look back to Christ and repent and to follow after him. When you are discouraged, remember how Christ has brought you through much in life and be encouraged. Take joy in the Lord, the God of your salvation. For all of us who have not yet reached that level, be encouraged by what God has done in your life and seek by his grace to be so thoroughly rooted and grounded in Christ that nothing can shake you. No wind of false doctrine, no trial on earth 
The Lord Jesus Christ can do that, will do that. He loves to grow his people. Dear people, look to him, run after him, follow him, walk in his footsteps with full trust in him that he who began a good work in you will bring it to pass. Trust him in this as you look to him in your life so that you too might be encouraged throughout all of life's discouragements so that you too might have that hand on your shoulder as it were of the Lord God saying, I've done all these things for you. I love you. I care for you. Trust in me and follow me. By his grace, let us do so. Let's pray. Lord and our God, what a marvelous and gracious thing this is that you have poured out grace upon grace upon us in working in us, in making us who are your people to grow. We ask, O Lord, that you would grow us, that by your grace you would strengthen us, remind us to put on the full armor of God so that we can stand uh, against the devil and his wiles. Remind us of your great goodness towards us in our times of discouragement when we are downcast so that we might follow you uh, even better than we did at first. Help us, O Lord, to do this. Bring us all to maturity so that you will have a strong church which glorifies you and honors you in everything which it says and does. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.